Coming up on this week's podcast, we play a new round of Two Truths, One Lie. We share our thoughts on Avengers, Battlefield, a new porn pass scheme, and Facebook's new youth portal. It's all coming up right after this. Hit it. You're listening to the Three Pixels Tech, Gaming, and Movie Podcast, brought to you by Alan Taylor, Martin Gregory, and me, Ben Ridley. Hello and welcome back to the Three Pixels Podcast. Yes, we are here with another full episode for your ears. Everyone knows him. It is Martin Gregory. Hello. Thank you very much for that introduction. No problem at all. And without any means for any form of introduction, really, everyone knows him as the movie guy, the guru, the expert. Everyone should listen to his advice. It is Alan Taylor. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. Thank you very much. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. It's I'm been not too bad. Ages since we've been here. It feels like a very long time since we've been here talking together, and we can all see each other's faces, which isn't always the case. So it's nice. I can stare deeply into Alan's eyes as I'm saying. That. I'm getting a bit creeped out now. And with that, let's move on to the two truths, one lie. Yes, it's back for the next three episodes. So enjoy. Martin, as you're, we were very good at this last time, and uh, you came up with some very funny stories. Alan and I think you should go first. So without further ado, give us your facts. Okay, I'm going to disappoint you this time. Here we go. I won two awards in cycling. I have a certificate in kayaking and I've passed my driving test first time. What okay. were your two awards in cycling? When I was younger, a lot of it was time trials. Sometimes it was like dirt biking. I did all sorts. And my two, one was time trials in mountain biking. And another one was also in time trials in dirt bikes. Where? With who? Funny enough, he actually became my boss. He was like five years later. His name was Paul, and he used to do a lot of off-roading with trucks and stuff, and he, started, he got his own bike. But his favourite thing was to get down and dirty, trying not to make a bit of a euphemism of that as, as much as possible. Hey, Martin, we're going to go get down dirty this weekend. Do you want to come with? Is that what he said? No. <laughs> I hope not. I'll give you a award if you come I'll, with. I'll give you some... I'll give you your award. Um, I'm going to walk away from that quickly. So my dad always cycled to work and he got me a bike. He got me my first mountain bike and I enjoyed it that much. I thought, I want to get involved. And as soon as I met Paul, we had a common interest in like dirt bikes, tractors, all sorts of things. And we just started doing sort of events together. Cool. And you won both. To say I won more participated, <laughs> if anything. Okay, fair enough. So your two cycling awards were participation awards. One for the dirt biking. My <laughs> At least you tried awards. <laughs> the canoeing. Yes, the kayaking, yes. Kayaking, sorry. Yes. Oh, see, I was just testing him there. It's all right, no worries. Did, so I uh, want to know more. Where was this? When did it happen? How old are you? Who were you with? It must have been when I was a teenager sort of time. And I was with my friend, Ollie. Mm. And I think my mum just, she just said, oh yeah, we're, we're going to go kayaking. That was how it actually was laid down on me. I never said I wanted to do it. In this country? Um, in Banbury, actually. We have a little uh, reservoir and you go around there. And, I, and our final exam, I'm going to say this, it was the worst. You had to go up to Stratford-upon-Avon uh, along the canal. And it was cold, it was wet. Obviously, you're in a kayak and water is touching your jimmies constantly. And it was the worst experience. People who do kayaking like on a day-to-day -day thing or like a proper hobby, they are mental people. Putting that one out there. Who gave you this qualification? Um, I can't think of the firm's name now, but they did. I actually have it mantled somewhere. Oh, it was like a firm. So what your mum saw this firm was like, let's do it as a family thing. No, so let's do it you. as you and Ollie can go while, while we sit in this cafe over here and just go, look at those idiots. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've done, I've done that. Well, I didn't do the competition, but I've been in a 
kayak canoe whatever in this in the south of france or like in like france generally and i mean it was sunny and that was nice better than a reservoir yeah. in, in <laughs> well this is, this is like if you just capsize you you know you don't drown yourself or like stuff like that it's like pretty um, much it was really basic stuff it was also pretty boring then oh well, it was but it, it was <laughs> oh, a, oh you know what i'm kidding <laughs> no, screw you guys yeah. <laughs> and the last one was passing my driving test first time Okay, so how old were you when you did your driving test? I was 17. Okay, so you were still 17 when you took your test? Yes. So you did the theory first time and the practical first time, is what you're saying? Because you said you did theory first oh, time. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. You've got to decide which one's my line. Yeah, but that's what you're saying, right? You did yeah, that's what I'm saying. First time. That's what I'm saying. Do you take your test in your dad's car or...? No, I actually took it in my driving instructor's car. Did you just pass or was it like, was it close? I think I had two minors. Yeah, I think I had two. So, Alan, I think it's decision time. I'm going to go for the last one just because... You, you, you think I'm yours. that incompetent? <laughs> <laughs> you think it's Actually, one. no, I, I can't imagine you passing first time, but... I'll, I'll go with you. I'll take your best judgment because I'm really unsure. So, uh, I'll go with Alan and we'll say jointly that it's the car testing is a lie. I played it too very well then. My cycling was the lie. Ah, oh, damn. Um, I did pass my test first time and I only had two negatives on it. And one of them wasn't even my fault, but that's, that's another day. And yes, I did have a certificate in uh, kayaking. So you never got down and dirty with Paul? <laughs> no, no, I didn't. But he was generally my boss. Like, that was the truth in the lie. He was generally my boss at one point. He was a terrible so, yeah, boss. Yeah, so that's what got me because I knew Paul was your boss at one point. So Yeah, that was when I was in my gardening phase when I thought, hey, I would like to do landscaping as a job. And then I decided. So you got down and dirty in the garden. So I got down and dirty in the garden. I got those green fingers going. The muddy knees. Those muddy knees. Get in touch at home. What did you think? Were you right? Were you wrong? Which one did Martin lead you towards? So let's kick it off with the gaming corner. And I say kicking off there because we're going to be talking about K-Swisses are trying to sell you shoes for professional gamers. The trend of all this started in 1973 when Puma designed a custom shoe for NBA star Walt Fraser. And it's been more commonly known with uh, Nike through Michael Jordan over the last 11 years. And I just want your quick take on this. I just think it's so stupid that this company is making shoes for professional gamers. Why? Why are they making shoes for professional gamers? How does that help gamers? They don't stand or run. As I was reading this document um, earlier on, pretty much it just helps like uh, reduce sweat, like get nice airflow in there. <laughs> and it's all grim stuff, of course. It just helps keep the gamer quite comfortable and doesn't have to worry about uh, overheating shoes. I'm sure like your feet get a bit hot and sweaty. It's sort of to reduce all that and to elevate, as it says here, gamers' performance during games. So when you first said there was going to be a shoe for gamers, I thought it was going to be like a controller somehow. No, no, like these are... There's some sort of functionality in-game. Okay, that's, so, so the news is just there's a shoe that they're trying to sell to people who play video games. Pretty much. Are they nice? An all-black shoe. All good so far. The laces side have like this sort of leather cover and these uh, almost... They look quite nice laces, to be honest. They're like, as laces. Good quality laces. Uh, nice. They have they're very supportive in the heel, as it looks here. And at the bottom, you have I've, uh, quite a number of air holes at the bottom of the heel, which obviously gives that spongy effect, as well as the airway for it to breathe. And it, it says here it's quite a light material, but to me, it's just so stupid. If they said, "Oh yeah, these are going to be some grips 
or is there going to be some glasses for people um, when, when playing video games to stop glare and hurting their eyes? Because there are things that they're out there. But for shoes, it's such a stupid idea. But for marketing, I will say it's great. But how many times do you see someone's shoes or say, oh, look, they are wearing such and such? This isn't new, you know. No, sports teams like get paid for wearing products all the time. So this isn't really news. It's just that esports are doing the same thing. Esports team wins something. People aren't going to go out and buy their kit the same way as they do If they're like sports. a player, though, they might want to look like that player or wear things that that player wears. Same as people want to wear things that a celebrity has worn. Or When I was a kid, it was people like FaZe, you know, and the FaZe clan, uh, when they did their Call of Duty montages and all this. Uh, and now you have people like Dignitas, uh, the Immortals are a decent team. I would never personally, and when I was a kid now, or even as an adult, I wouldn't say, oh... I don't know, let's say Ben is a professional gamer. Oh, I'm going to get some shoes just like Ben. I would never do that. No, I'm not being one like that either. I'm not persuaded in that way. I'm also not massive into clothing brands anyway. I go for what works for me and what looks good on me rather than what someone else is wearing or what a brand stands for particularly. So it's definitely not going to make a difference to me. But, you know, it, that form of marketing has proven to be powerful in the past and I'm sure it'll be powerful again. And they're obviously doing it for a very good reason. If they're, you know, they're a big company, they, they've done this for, for a particular purpose and, you know, reason. So, hey, ho, I mean, I don't see any, I don't see any bad things in it really. And it, it's, it's, if, if you, if you're against this, then, you know, there are plenty of other things just like it out there happening as well. So. They should put little sensors, ten, five sensors in each foot, and the toes can play. You just made me think of a gu- guitar hero there for some odd reason. That's not why. It should, should vibrate like with the game. You like, yeah. <laughs> or rumble. Yeah, there we go. Because that wouldn't annoy anyone, would it? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't care if I annoy anyone. It just makes the game more more intense. immersive and more intense. Am I being silly, or do you agree with me? I would like to hear what you guys have to say about it. And you can contact us through our emails at hello at thefreepixels.com, our Twitter, FreePixelPod, and if you're on Facebook, you can search us at The Free Pixels. A quick announcement here. As soon as we recorded our podcast about Black Ops 4, they re- released the trailers for the gameplay, the multiplayer, etc. So everything we said before that were just our thoughts and opinions of what could happen. Buggers, aren't they? talking about Battlefield 5 and it has been officially announced by EA. The live reveal will be on the 23rd of May. So I'm just going to quickly just dive into this and say I'm a little excited about this one. We know very little about this game this far. Uh, Battlefield 1, people did moan about it but I did enjoy Battlefield 1 uh, to a certain extent. It was nice going back to that um, old World War 1 sort of feel and people actually speculating this is going to be about World War II, which I think will probably be well-received by critics and definitely, more importantly, the fan base. Online, it was actually quite fun. It was an enjoyable experience, actually. I I did enjoy myself. There's some niggles here and there, but that's expected when you're trying to balance guns. It's like the same with Call of Duty and any other... uh, gun game out there you, there's always that one op gun and there's always that like we feel like this is underpowered so i can always forgive de- developers over that but honestly i have enjoyed the game the, the multiplayer is as fun as always it's um the engine that they used on it was superb i couldn't really fault it and 
honestly, I've heard very little criticism about Battlefield 1 overall. Like I said at first, I thought this was going to be one of the worst games of the year. And honestly, since playing it, it made me a believer that I, I probably enjoy Battlefield more than I did with the COD series. Isn't that the problem with that game, though? That it was fun and enjoyable. And it was about a war that definitely shouldn't be made that enjoyable. It's because World War One's very different from World War Two. Well, yeah, well, um, it's quite actually interesting uh, that you say about World War One, uh, and instantly my, my mind went straight to the tactics of World War One and trench warfare. And in Battlefield One, there was no sort of trench warfare going on at all. Um, there was a map involving trenches, but I think there was only one, which I actually felt like it just sort of in the multiplayer sort of did peel away from it. But at times, it was nice that it didn't have to seclude itself to World War One. It just felt like a proper decent shooter at times, just with older um, guns. Some people would say, oh, I'd like to have some trench warfare, but I'll play Verdun. Verdun is probably the best World War One game out there. It's so realistic, one shot, you're dead sort of thing. Sometimes you see loads of enemies, other times you won't. You know, you actually have proper counterattack when you're in the trenches. Honestly, if you like World War One games, then Verdun would be the one I'd give you. But in terms of Battlefield One, I just fully enjoyed the experience and I might say something contradictious later because I want to talk about another game in a minute. But honestly, it was nice to sort of come away from World War One because yes, it was it was devastating. Uh, some of the weapons and chemicals used were just inhumane. And I feel like this sort of, not made light of it, but sort of tried to give a nice edge over it, I guess would be the word. It kind of concentrated on the excitement out of the war technologies that were created around that era because... That's basically what the two world wars did was create massive advancements in technology for war, which then later on, even today, uh, some of those technologies are used in our industries and have helped push that forward. So there are positive outcomes from it. And I think, yeah, the Battlefield game what we managed to do was look at the exciting new bits of kit for war that was invented and, and, and developed during that period. Yeah, absolutely. And there, there were guns in there that were just uh, prototypes. And, and that's one thing I would say, the, the selection, the wide selection of customization was, was fantastic. And, and that's something I really did enjoy. You could have a sniper with these different sort of gadgets going in. So you could have like a shovel shield, I think they were called, and all sorts. So it was just really just fun. I just felt like there was never a moment where I thought I had enough of this. So what are the predictions for Battlefield Five? Are we thinking it's going to be similar gameplay styles, but it's just going to be an incremental upgrade? Because Battlefield 3 to 4 was a bit like that. It's going to be World War II, the next one, right? It, no, this, this is what people are speculating it'll be. Oh, okay. So we, how much do we know for fact? Very little. Just very that little. it exists. We know that it's called Battlefield Five. Uh, okay. I would like it to be World War II, but I think I would enjoy Vietnam more, personally. I think the Vietnamese War is something that more influenced my lifetime than World War II. And I know it's crazy to say, but that was the first sort of war I actually uh, learned a lot about because World War II, so much happened. Why did in... you learn, what, at school? Yes, honestly, learned about more Vietnam War before World we War II. We weren't even involved in that one. I know, this is, this is the weird thing. We, to be honest, we had a French teacher in our history at first. And originally in the Vietnamese War, you had obviously... Vietnam was um, guarded by the French. Then they got their axes absolutely kicked. And then the Americans had to go in and whatnot. There are a lot of World War II games. That's when we were younger. There are going to be kids now that these new set of World War II games are going to be the first World War II games they play. There was a generation where we took a break from World War II games. 
really. But I think yeah, Battlefield is going to be an interesting one, but the biggest change to the first-person action genre this year is likely to be the Call of Duty franchise. And if you want to hear our thoughts on the new Black Ops 4 announcement, check out the last podcast that we uploaded and you'll hear our full ideas and criticisms too. All right, guys. So I'm going to talk about a little movie you might have heard of called The Avengers Infinity War. So, Ben, have you seen this? Infinity. You might. So yes, it's got some small actors in it. It's low budget. Martin, have you have you heard of this? I watched it, but I didn't. I've not really watched anything before. I think it was just sort of like it was the only thing left in the cinema. So I thought I'll give it a go. Why not? Yeah, same. So I didn't. I missed what I actually wanted to watch. So yeah, fair enough. We're terrible liars. <laughs> <laughs> so we've all seen Infinity War. Yes, right? absolutely. So if you're listening at home and you've not seen it, don't worry. This section won't have any spoilers in it. We are going to do a separate spoiler podcast, but. That's going to be supplemental to this. It'll come out on the same day, but don't worry, we're not going to ruin anything for you. And because I know people are very sensitive about this, we're going to be quite brief. Yes. So first of all, Avengers Infinity War, it's the 10-year anniversary for these movies since yep. uh, Iron Man. Yeah. Yes. And it's the 18th Marvel movie as part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's crazy. There's that been 18 madness. of these. And they've also got TV series as well out there. Oh, yeah. It's not even counting their TV series. So just trying to catch up before this movie came out, I spent two weekends just trying to get through all of these. And yeah, I really enjoyed that process, actually, of catching up. I, I, I've been a bit down on them before, but I, d- I did enjoy watching them all in one go. There is a re- some really good golden moments over the years. There's been some really great memorable um, experiences. And some of the yeah, films. and seeing the ramp up to this movie is really nice as well. Just watching them get a lot more confident and owning the, the genre that they are. Infinity War is pretty much all of your favorite Marvel heroes coming together to fight the long-awaited battle with Thanos who has been, over the last few films, I think from Guardians, collecting these magic stones, the Infinity Stones, that will bring him untold power, that will allow him to uh, evaporate half of the universe. And I think this clip will pretty much sum it up. Tell me his name again. Thanos. He's a plague, Tony. He invades planets. He takes what he wants. He wipes out half the population. He said Loki. The attack on New York, that's him. This is it. What's our timeline? No telling. He has the power in space stones. That already makes him the strongest creature in the whole universe. If he gets his hands on all six stones, Tony. He could destroy life on a scale hitherto undreamt of. So that, I think, pretty much in a spoiler-free way, sums up what the whole movie is about, right? Yeah. Collecting stones. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're invested in the Marvel franchise, if you're emotionally attached to these characters, you will enjoy this movie. It makes homages and references throughout the series, and it brings it all together very, very well, I thought. They've built a franchise and a universe unlike any other in movies, really. Obviously, in the comics and the games, it's been done before. Those comic books don't have budgets. They can draw anything, right? 
take characters anywhere. And it's been so refreshing to see a movie that seemed like it didn't really have a budget. Yeah. So for me personally, they brought some characters that I, when I was younger, would never have thought I'd see on the big screen. Uh, I won't say who they are yet, but it was so nice that I got to see this and got to see a lot more of the universe, the space stuff, which obviously in earlier movies, that was all set, you know, in New York or American cities. The directors, the Russo brothers, brought the characters and these films, all the different films have different tones to them. Like Spider-Man and Thor, at least the latest one, were funny movies. Spider-Man was definitely a funny movie. Captain America's were more serious and, and the Black Panther, I think, walked the line very well as well. And they brought all these tones together and it still worked. We had these different characters from different movies working with each other. But not only that, I think the powers worked well together as well. I think they made a point to team up these characters in ways that was really interesting. Uh, A point that stood out for me, this isn't a spoiler, don't worry, is when Doctor Strange and Spider-Man were working together. I thought that was really cool. But because we're packing in 18 movies worth of characters, essentially, there wasn't that much space for it to breathe. I mean, for better or for worse, this movie was go, go, go. I think the whole thing is just like within a space of one day and it's just non-stop. We're just exhausting. Briefly, yeah, it was quite exhausting. And we're, we're just going back and forth between all these characters. The performances were great as well. Everyone gave their complete best performance they could give. I didn't watch the Spider-Man movie, so I didn't know. I'm really sorry. Really? Like, I Ben's That's face such of, a good film. No, I think that was my favorite. Okay. Oh, my God. So and I knew very little about the actor in this, but um, watching Infinity War, I was really impressed by him. And I know that might be like, oh, well, well, of course, he was really good in Spider-Man. But honestly, in certain parts of the movie, I actually felt for him. I could, because in the comics, he's meant to be this fun-loving guy. But when he was serious and when he was sad, I felt it. It almost, I almost could, I could relate to him at times. And that's what I think it made him... He was my standout performer. I agree. Tom Holland, the actor of Spider-Man. Yeah, he, he was one of my favourites. Although I think the top, without any like, competition, is Thanos. Josh Brolin playing Thanos. He was the main character of this movie. Everything revolved around him. We saw... The nice thing was, which is it makes a change from some Marvel movies, we saw him we saw his reasons for doing it they gave him a pathos he's only actually the only character that has an arc through this movie yeah it was really well told everything revolved around him because as it said in in the clip earlier that this guy is the most powerful man in the universe and that did come across at at times there were moments i thought i could almost justify his reasoning for for what he was going to about to do to the universe so to me he really blew it out of the water for me it was a fantastic performance and it was all motion capture as well and i think Gollum, i think the caesar from planet of the apes and i think this is the next big step in motion capture because it was such a humanizing performance yeah 100 percent. there was never a moment where i went this is fake this 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 is green screened or anything there was never a moment when he was on screen before this isn't this isn't real no i was sitting there going this isn't real? Like, yeah, <laughs> this, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is one moment. I won't say what it is, but uh, it was so wonderfully human. I was like, how do they do that with CG? Of course, this was the first Marvel film shot entirely for IMAX, using the IMAX technology, the IMAX cameras. And if you're thinking about going to see it and you can go see it in the IMAX, even if you're not a big movie nerd or someone who's really kind of 
likes to go to the newest cinemas and experience in the best way, I would advise you to go and see it in IMAX because I'm the only one I know in the group that saw it in IMAX. And I have to say, it made such difference to see it because it was made for that. That film was made for IMAX. In comparison to the other screens, it wasn't really made for those other in the same way. It was developed with IMAX technology for IMAX, that film. And you could tell it is the best IMAX experience I've ever had in a cinema. And by quite by quite a stretch, I, I, I will I will really put it down and, and, and say that I think it is the best film um, that I've ever seen in IMAX. So if you want to get the full experience of this film as it was intended, go and see it. Because talking about the detail and the level of effort gone into the CGI, it looked so crisp, so full of life in the 3D IMAX. I felt like I was in that world. And uh, every th none, there was no jarring moments. There was no moments where I was like, oh, no, the technology's not quite there. It's not quite right. I felt like I was there. I felt really immersed. Um, and obviously that helps with the story as well and being drawn in there. And yeah, I'd advise you to go see it in IMAX. I've heard a lot of people echo that sentiment as well, saying that this is one of the best IMAX movies. What did you guys think about the balance between just the rapid pace of going from humor and then like the quite dark, serious moments. I thought, I thought this movie was pretty funny. Yes. I, I really enjoyed it. But do you think that because of that, these serious moments didn't quite hit as hard? Felt real. It felt very much doomsday. But to be honest, you say about the humor, you found it funny. It was sort of about, I think it was halfway through the jokes dried up, which I liked, because they realized how serious it's become. As the story progressed, it was almost like a audience and a character realization of how serious this is getting. And the jokes are just witty when, when Thanos is taking on the superheroes or, or when they're being attacked. The jokes came in sort of like mid sort of fight, which, which is expected by Mar uh, Marvel standards. But usually you always get this character interaction of, haha, good, good one, old buddy, an old chap. But as the uh, story progressed, you never got that. In fact, it actually, um, it actually got more intense. And, and like we, we, we keep saying, we keep going back to it, I don't want to keep reiterating myself for it, but it honestly, it felt like this actually means something. This feels like an actual big deal. So I have some reservations about what you're talking about that I can't go into, but I, I feel like there are some things that happen in this movie that takes away from the emotion. Okay. If you've seen it or you don't care about spoilers, listen to the spoiler cast that will be coming up with this. And finally, a point that I made earlier about how the Russo brothers brought all these characters together. I think another thing they did well was having characters of different power levels. Because you've got the Scarlet Witch here, who's essentially like crazy, overpowered magician. Okay. Yeah. On the same battlefield as the Black Widow, who pretty much runs around punching and kicking. Yeah, with right? some guns now on him. Yeah, <laughs> but you don't, you don't feel like Black Widow's like sidelined or anything or, or underpowered or anything. Yeah. They build the battle scenes really well. They all have, you know, their own moments, their own uses. And I, I think they did do that really well. The relationships really build off Civil War. So if you've seen Civil War and you understand what went on there, people who stuck together in Civil War and became closer friends and things like that, generally that carried through, apart from obviously characters that weren't in Civil War or weren't that integral to the story. You can't really do the same self, but, you know, it, it's going to go without given to say that Stark and um, Captain America, you know, they're not on the same wavelength still. They're not in the same battlefield. It was nice to see that people who stuck with Stark were on Stark's battlefield. There was one or two people, like Ben said, who weren't with Stark in Civil War, in uh, Doctor Strange. He wasn't in Civil War. So he was on uh, Iron Man's sort of battlefield. And it was nice to see that you sort of had Captain America with his group and also some people like Black Panther as well in there. It was just 
an incredible, still the lines are there, but I feel like it was almost like a truce to say like, look, we are the Avengers. We're going to sort this out first uh, and then we'll come back to sort ourselves out. Well, that's how I always felt. Uh, when it came to it, everyone stuck together. Yeah. Generally. But yeah, and it's the same with any franchise. Like you wouldn't go watch the last Harry Potter if you hadn't seen the rest. Yeah. Go watch the rest of these movies first. You're yeah. not going to get anything out of it because they've got so much to pack in. They don't waste any time reminding you of what's happened. Oh, this happened. Like what? this movie takes place uh, in the case of Thor, like literally the end of Thor. It takes place a few Ragnarok, days after. Yeah. yeah, sorry, Ragnarok. It play, takes place, I don't know, like a couple of weeks after Black Panther. It's, and they reference things oh, yes. explicitly. Yeah. So... Yeah, you wouldn't watch The Last Harry Potter without watching the rest and expect it to make sense. Go watch the others first. But let's be honest, you probably have seen them all. And if you enjoyed them, if you're invested in this universe, you will you will really get a lot out of this movie. And I will leave it there for non-spoiler things because we can't really go into too much more. But go see it. Um, go see it, then come back and listen to our spoiler <laughs> podcast. Thank you very much. If Facebook wants to appeal to teens, it might start by rethinking its new youth portal. Facebook is making an effort to crack the greatest mystery of all, teen outreach, with an all-new central hub it's dubbed the Youth Portal, in addition to very hip explanations of how to get most out of the products like pages, groups, events, and profile while staying safe. The portal will also offer security tips, advice about the internet, and a first-person account from fellow teens around the world about tech. Yeah, Facebook is targeting teens with a youth portal, which the only time I hear the word youth used is not by other teens. Like teens or youth. Uh, can I just say, my favorite word in that was hip yeah <laughs> it was like yeah who have a that? groovy time we'll have a good old groovy time a bit of a shindig going down so this is facebook showing their age yeah well you know who doesn't use facebook and is notoriously unpopular with yeah youths youths teens i thought we we're going somewhere else and sorry. <laughs> sorry teens yeah i mean that's probably why they're doing this right yeah, you know, they're really unpopular with parents trying to spare their children the horrors of social media. The company has been unsuccessful trying to win back its younger users for years. Its latest efforts, it bought Instagram to try and, you know, do a Snapchat type thing because it really wanted Snapchat and couldn't get Snapchat. That hasn't worked. This is one of its latest efforts. And the fact that they're calling them youths is so cringeworthy. Oh, and never cringe so hard. Portal. Yeah. What, what are you on about, It man? just feels like another misstep. I, I can humor you by going through some of the bits of text that they have on this youth portal. Can I just ask a quick question? This, yes. So this is like a digital hub that... Yeah, it's like a guide as well. Yes. ...will choose to go to. Yes. Because they don't know how Facebook works. Apparently. Okay, it's like if parents designed a way of trying to give you the rules and trying to help you, but trying to do it in a way that is street. But that's just the problem right there. Like, teens don't like to be told what to do. We're all teenagers once. Yeah, I know, it was a long time ago for me. But, you know, we were. We don't like to be told what, what we can and cannot do. As well as, like, it's, it's from adults as well. That makes... That's a bit cringy in itself. It's like, oh, yeah, you can have everything except these things here. Yeah, like, I don't know how they can seem any more uncool. 
This is a real low. So a list of guide principles includes tips to change privacy settings or think about who you keep on your friends list under lecture-like labels like change your locks every so often or don't let strangers hang out in your room. Think before you speak, advises one. Before you post publicly, pause and ask yourself, would I feel comfortable reading this out loud to my parents and grandparents? They're guidelines for any social media user, but dumbed down with bright colours and anthropomorphic tablets. Sorry, what? Did you say they're aiming at yous and teens yes. and not five-year-olds? Yeah. Oh my God. Would I feel comfortable saying this things in front of my mum? To be honest, the f- some things I talk about on this podcast, my mum would just go, what? Yeah. <laughs> Straight over her head. You know, like, what a, oh, what a bunch of cobwash, I tell you. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah, it's like, don't let strangers hang out in your room. Be aware of who you've allowed to enter your space and who you're allowing to continue to spend time there. Check your friend list regularly to make sure you're cool with who's looking at your content. (laughs) Accept friend requests from people who you know. Carefully vet anyone else who knocks at your door and unfriend anyone who has worn out their welcome. So in terms of Facebook, what is a room? What is... Alan, tell me, please. Who have you been? I don't know. I'm not a youth. I've not been given this guidance. (laughs) Ben is the youngest here. Ben, who have you been letting in your room all this time? I don't know, but Facebook is an appy. It's, yeah, give, happy, it's giving me this uh, really passive-aggressive letter. <laughs> My favourite was that <laughs> ending comment of who's overstayed their... Well, or in so yeah. many words, who's overstayed their welcome, pretty much. And you just think, what is this rubbish? Come off it, you know, come on. Like, ever since parents joined Facebook, and I'm not blaming fully parents, but as soon as, like the older generation joining what the uh, young, younger generations join in, it's seen as deemed uncool. And yeah. yeah, of course. I mean, un- that's untrendy. the same as anything ever. Yeah, exactly. You can't, you can't change that. That is just the way it will be. You know, there's nothing Facebook can do that will really change that. And all they've done is, is dug themselves a bigger hole in trying to come up with something that I think an adult focus group have come up with. What do kids like? Oh, bright <laughs> exactly. colours. It, it feels like a PTA meeting. Of, really, you yeah. know what? They've all had a bit too many wines and a bit too many gin and tonics. Well, maybe not enough. Uh, or, and some beer. And they've just gone, let's just shoot some ideas out there and let's see what sticks. So what is the social media the kids are using? Does Snapchat still exist? Yeah, Snapchat's quite popular. <laughs> I don't know. Sna- Snapchat is very, very popular still. still. Though, yeah, I would is say it that not it is. old it, and uncool yet? Slightly, but it is quite popular. Instagram is holding actually some of its way, but it's not It's not going the way that Facebook really wanted it to. What about Twitter? Is that <sighs> going? Twitter's dead in the water. Twitter's for celebrities. Twitter's been dead in a while. Honestly, yeah, I think Snapchat is the only major thing at the moment. That we know of. That we know of. That's, That's the thing. <laughs> Get in touch. Let us know. What is the most popular thing with the teens if you are a teen message us in on whatever platform it is you use we won't have that i was gonna say tweet us but there's no point you probably don't have twitter send us a email ask your parents what an email is send us an email and let us know what media platform you're using write us a letter ask your parents about what a letter is (laughs) go to school ask your teacher how a letter works and send us a letter that's it let us know get in touch what do you think on this is this facebook doing embarrassing things like a bad dad at a wedding i mean facebook is just at a wedding facebook is just an uncool uncle now at this point yes that always hugs you for longer than you want and says embarrassing things in front of and they just they always have like these weird underlying racists political views what uncles do you have (laughs) uncle facebook
Yeah. Huh? And they're always showing me photos of their kids. I was like, oh, come on. Oh, come off it. <laughs> the latest news from the UK. Newsstands are set to sell porn passes to verify ages under new laws. Yes, you did hear me correctly. Last year, the UK approved the Digital Economy Act, which included new strict rules regarding access to pornographic websites. When the law goes into effect, set later this year, it has been delayed, please keep that in mind, regulators have suggested that users will be able to purchase a so-called porn pass from a local newsstand to verify their age. Well, in this late day and age, would you think that this might seem a little bit old-fashioned? Well, you're right to think that. There was going to be a different way of verifying age using an online tool which the government was set to back. However, they are slowly rethinking that because of this whole GDPR, data protection issues that we're having at the moment. If someone's personal details has to be stored, their identity on a database, that could create complications later down the line. So the British Board of Film Classification, known as the BBFC, have been given more time to draft its guidelines. And once it does do so, it will put that in front of Parliament and a possible solution for age verification could be a trip down to your local store for a pass. Yeah. I'll just leave that there for a second. What a joke. What absolute joke. If I, if I turned around and said April Fool's, you probably would believe me. Right oh, now. I believe you. Yeah. And I go down to my newsagents quite a bit. Oh, Could God, you just imagine? <laughs> no, no, no. Just imagine the, the sheer shame of going down there and saying, oh, I want this paper, or I want uh, this chocolate bar, or I want one of those it's like, porn passes. It's like, when you gotta buy, it's like when you've got to buy condoms and you end up going in and buying the whole shop because you don't want to just be the person yeah. that walks in for condoms. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, I also got this... Foot ointment. Don't have anything on my foot, but hey, oh, that's... Uh... Yeah, let's just buy this full house, wheat grocery shopping. I mean, it's kind of come full circle, really, hasn't it? Yeah. Back in the, I don't know, old days, you'd have to go to the new agents to buy your porn. It's just not going to work. Let's put it this way. It is not going to do what intended. I am a firm believer that people who want to find their way around this will find a way around it. It is the internet. I'm sorry. People just find their way around these things, especially government schemes that generally are half-baked, aren't that well done. And this is only going to affect the major porn companies because they will face enormous fines if they don't stick to these rules. If they're caught, you know, with their pants down, pardon the pun, they could get fines uh, up to £250,000. So it's a lot of money. Pornography can be destructive if younger people are addicted to it, using it daily. That's going to change the way they develop relationships later and how they don't have a healthy sex life later. But I hate to always bring it down to this kind of point, and we do with a lot of these kind of topics. It is down to the parents' responsibility. I'm sorry, but it is. It's not the government's responsibility. It is the parents' responsibility, and that's the only way that this thing will work. I think just having an open, honest conversation about yeah, what it as is. Well. Government involvement isn't the answer. Minus watching porn or pornography... That is a problem, but there are worse things going on in the world right now. Underage sex, uh, rape, all this is still going on, which I think is more of a problem to tackle than this. And and like Ben said, there's always ways around this because the government, I've got to be honest, they're, they're geniuses when it comes to the internet. It's still new to half of them. They're like, whoa, the internet? And they never see these sort of laws through anyway, it seems like. What I think would work is, you know, when you first log onto your computer, you have to put your date and age and everything. Uh, when you first go into your first computer, you know, if it's a Toshiba, a laptop, you have to put your date of birth in. And then you, you have access to certain websites like that. You can lie. 
But yeah, well, that's it to them. But when you're like 12 years old, you're going to put your date in. Oh, yeah, I'm. No, you'll lie. But you, I mean, no, I didn't. If the parents took <laughs> responsibility, they could have parental restrictions on the computer. Exactly. That's, and it, that's a much more effective way. Or explain to them what pornography is. Explain to them. And there they can be there are teen anyway. You know that even if you explain to them, there's a high chance that they might try and want to be curious. Yes, but explain to them why it's not like real life. The same way you'd explain to them why action violent movies are not like real life. If I think if someone knows that, it won't be as damaging. Yeah, psychologically. But that's part of it. But I mean, that is what I always come back to: having an open conversation about something is always the solution for me. I feel like. Yeah. But not in this case. It's back to the woods to find our porn, I guess. Well, back to my local news agents then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can I have a copy of that magazine I just, and the past? I just think this, the sheer, just handing in the, like asking for it, just them watching you like, hand over, they know. And it's 10 quid. So does that last for life? Because, I mean, that's proving your ID, right? You're not going to get or is that younger. like a day pass? No, no, one's into, <laughs> no one's gone into that much planning yet. That's, that's wow. how much thought has been put into this. We so don't it is know. a government. Project. Yes, that, exactly. <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> yeah. So That's silly, though. Oh, it makes you feel laughable. proud to be British, doesn't it? Usually, we toe the line between, you know, American puritanism because they, you know, hate nudity completely, and on the other side, we've got Europe, which is completely cool with it and fine. There's nudity on commercials in the middle of the day. It's, it's not a problem. It's not a shameful thing. You look at some of these pop videos that go up there. There are some oh, proper soft pornography out there. Maybe scaling that back as well. You watch like Mickey Minaj's Anaconda and stuff like that. You think, good God, like it leaves very little to the imagination. Yeah, that's the so point. There's a whole two camps. Is Nicki Minaj a feminist icon or is she a product of complete sexism? And with that, we're wrapping up this episode. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you have enjoyed it. Don't forget you can get in touch in the usual ways. Tweet us at 3pixelspod. Get in touch on the website you can check all the information that we have out about the podcast there including any articles that we upload to that is the3pixels.com send us an email hello at the3pixels.com find us on facebook just search the3pixels and with that i'll say thank you very much to alan thank you very much and thank you very much to martin thank you very much it's been a pleasure speaking to you guys and thank you much for listening we'll see you on the next one episode number nine Thank you very much. Bye. You've been listening to the Three Pixels podcast, a production by Alan Taylor, Martin Gregory, and me, Ben Ridley. Music provided by Epidemic Sound. With that, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Good night. <laughs>